Good morning. Good morning. Um, right, yeah, so we've had two readings. Um, one of them might seem a little bit mysterious to you at the moment, but we're, we'll get there. Um, and, and so what we're talking about today um, is that we're still talking on the, in the Lord's Prayer series, and we're talking about give us this day our daily bread. And um, for the benefit of those listening back later, today's readings are Matthew 6, verse 11, which is that part of the uh, Lord's Prayer, and also Matthew 25, verses 31 to 40, the sheep and the goats. So two weeks ago, Mark looked at uh, an introduction to the Lord's Prayer, and he looked at our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and he talked about that. And last week, Sam looked at um, the kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And those are words that we all know really, really well, don't we? It's the one thing that we all remember, really. So now we've got to uh, verse 11, to the bit that says, give us this day our daily bread. One of the things that's important about the Lord's Prayer is that in this world that we have, Jesus, before he, he uh, when he was in, the, in the, the Last Supper, and it's reported in John's Gospel, prayed for the unity of believers. And we look at the church today, and we have to admit it's a bit of a mess. It's fragmented. There are people disagreeing about the right way of doing this, and, and only we've got it right, and only they've got it, and they've got it all wrong, and all sorts of things. But the one thing that everybody, I think everybody, agrees on is the words of the Lord's Prayer. So that's the prayer for Christian unity, if you like. It's the prayer that we can all pray together. And we know that nobody's going to shout us down and tell us we're doing it wrong. Um, so um, it's... Uh, and what, one of the things, the ancient history about the Lord's Prayer, as I mentioned in, in the newsletter, which you may or may not have read, it was about tortoises, don't ask me. I've just got a strange mind. Um, but... Um, there's a, a, an ancient book called the Didache, which was a, a guide to Christian living from the first century. Um, and people who were believers, were, it was suggested that they pray the Lord's Prayer three times every day. That's because the Jews were used to praying three times every day. Um, and the thing that I find interesting is that the words of the Lord's Prayer were not taught to anybody unless they were baptised. They had to have declared that they were going to follow the way of Jesus uh, before they could pray those words, because they were considered that powerful. So we have the Lord's Prayer here, and it's all written out again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We get to today's part of it give us this day our daily bread forgive us our debts and forgive uh, as we've forgiven our debtors and do not bring us to a time of trial that how that's translated varies from place to place but rescue us from the evil one as mark said uh, last week or two weeks ago the lord's prayer can be divided into three bits really and the first two verses, verses 9 and 10, are all about recognising and praising God the Father and, and praying for his kingdom to come. The second bit, which is verse 11, is about praying for our own physical needs 
And the third bit is about praying for spiritual stuff, the spiritual side of our life. And when you look at it split up like this, you can see the bit about our physical needs is tiny, isn't it? Seven words out of about 50. It's tiny. That's the bit that is about our physical needs. And I think we can safely say that it's not just about bread. It's about the, everything that we actually need, not want, but need every day. In 2018, Tear Fund did a poll on what people pray for. There's been quite a lot of polls done. <clears throat> and they're quite often reported in the, in the newspapers. And it, and it said um, about 51% of people, adults in the UK, pray. And that, that's substantially more than actually go to church. So these are people that don't, wouldn't call themselves religious, don't have a faith, um, but they still pray. Um, and it's quite a lot of people that, 51% of the UK, 27 million people praying. Um, <clears throat> when they were asked what they prayed for, most people said, 55% said they're really, really, really likely to pray in a crisis. Something that affects them badly, they're going to be there praying. And you see people, even if it's their football team, praying, don't you? <laughs> please, please, let them win. Um, I don't know whether that counts as a proper prayer or not. Maybe it does. Um, but um, when you ask people what they pray for, 71% of people say they pray for their family. 42% um, said they prayed to thank God. And that could include all the things you say before you have a meal, for example. We always give thanks before we eat. Um, they pray for 40% pray for friends. Uh, what disturbed Tear Fund is that only 24% pray for global disasters and anything outside their immediate circle. This includes uh, people with a faith and without, incidentally. So why does Jesus do devote so few words to what we actually need? The, the reason, I think the reason for that is just before the start of these words in Matthew 6, in starting in verses 7 and 8, Jesus says, When you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Does that mean we don't need to pray? Mm, not sure about that. Um, Jesus is basically saying God isn't deaf. You don't need to keep shouting at God. You don't need to keep going on about it. He already knows what you need. But how does God know what we need? Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, which is, this is all part of, Jesus amplifies this and he says in verse 31, Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. God knows what you need because every single human being on this planet needs the same things. It doesn't, it's not rocket science. God knows what you need to survive. God knows what you need to be comfortable in life. He's not talking about luxuries here. He's talking about need. Um, so when you, well, we, we, we take this phrase, God knows what I need, and, and transfer it to all sorts of things which are, aren't actually essentials in life. They're actually things that we'd really quite like to happen, like, should I get this car, God, or not? You know, well, perhaps it doesn't matter that much. Is it important that I get this job or go to that university or uh, get this particular coat or whatever? 
But God knows that we, what we need because we all need the same thing. Uh, Joni, Witch, Joni Mitchell's great prayer was, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive porches, I must make amends. That is not a need, that is a want, Joni. Sorry about that. So this prayer is not about the luxuries in life. That doesn't mean people can't have things that are nice and comfortable and a little bit more than the basic, but it does mean that this prayer is to be prayed as something which is, is about what we need. And the other thing about this prayer, and as I say, it's the great prayer of Christian unity, if you like. It's when we, when, even from right from the beginning of this prayer, you can see it's a prayer that you can pray on, on your own. And as I say, early Christians were advised to pray it three times a day. But whenever you pray it, you're praying for your community. You are not praying for yourself our father you can't change it to my father in heaven it is our father in heaven that jesus taught us to say god is our father and he goes on about the kingdom give us this day our daily bread not give me this day my daily bread but give us this day our daily bread forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and do not bring us to a kind, kind of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. It's a communal prayer. It's a prayer for the community. It's not an individual prayer. And that's the power of this. People go on about these days about, you know, whether it's appropriate to call God father or whether we should be calling him mother because some people didn't have nice fathers and all sorts of things. But that's not the most contentious thing in here. This, the most contentious thing is that it's about community not about anything else so we can pray for our daily bread but before we've prayed for our daily bread we prayed for God's kingdom and I'm, I'm not um, really treading on Sam's toes talking about the kingdom but the kingdom is absolutely essential it's the kingdom is central to this because without the kingdom all the us's and ours in that mean nothing um, the kingdom of God is a society on earth where God's will is as perfectly done as it is in heaven that's what we're praying for in in the um, in the uh, Lord's prayer your kingdom come your will be done on earth on earth as it is in heaven. And that means that we aim for a society which has truth and justice. Now, many of you in this room have fallen foul of the truth and justice in your own countries and had to flee um, because the truth and justice wasn't the sort of truth and justice that God would be interested in. It's about peace and wholeness, shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew greeting word that means peace. You can Greet it. You can greet somebody with the word shalom when you see them. You can say shalom when you say goodbye. And what it means is that you're looking for harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare and tranquility. It means when you say shalom to someone, it means I wish you well in all aspects of your life. It's all about having the peace and wholeness that God's kingdom is all about. And in God's kingdom, there are fair shares for all. There's no hunger, no thirst, no poverty because of the unfair distribution of wealth and all the waste in this world. If you pray the Lord's Prayer, the communal prayer, the prayer of Christian unity, you're saying, 
I can't be happy having too much while you don't have enough. The kingdom is about shalom for all. Can you remember what Sam said last week about where the kingdom of God is? Where is the kingdom of God? Somebody, somebody must remember. It's within us, isn't it? <clears throat> the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Sounds nice, isn't it, that? Nice and cosy. Got the kingdom of God in here. I can just treasure it and look after it and pray about it if I like. But that's not what the kingdom is about. It's not like having a secret valuable treasure that you can keep to yourself. It's not like Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. My precious, I want to keep it for myself. When Jesus says the kingdom is within you, he's saying you have powerful knowledge here. You know how God wants this world to be. The kingdom of God is a present reality here and now to people who believe and try to follow the teaching of Jesus. It's not pie in the sky when you die. It's our king, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a reality here and now. And you have to look at the world through God's eyes to be able to even see the kingdom, to take part in it and to use the power of God which is available to us to make this happen. That leaves us with a problem. The words of the Lord Prayer say, give us this day our daily bread. The kingdom of God is here and now, yes, but it's not a reality for many, many, many people in this world who long for the basics of life, who long for peace. A recent study, which was just the figures came out just the other day, according to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, three in every 10 people around the world went short of food in 2022. Three in 10 people. 49 million people in 43 countries across the globe are at risk of falling into famine or severe hunger crisis. Globally, about one in 10 people go to bed hungry every night. Um, three billion people can't afford a healthy, nutritious diet. A child dies from hunger every 10 seconds. That's not how it's meant to be. That is not what God's kingdom is all about. And that's what we have to work towards. And I'm, going, I'm, I'm sorry if this is going to upset anybody, but some of those people who died from starvation had incredible faith in God. They prayed this prayer and they didn't get what they needed. Because we're not living in the kingdom of God as it should be. And that's one of the things we have to work towards. One of the reasons that God doesn't always seem to answer prayer is because we're not living in God's kingdom. You don't always get what you want and you certainly don't you don't even get what you need sometimes so something else has to happen before hunger can be eliminated from the world and the world is how god wants it to be just to lighten up for a moment when i was a new christian my brother told me a joke 
a Christian joke, and some of you will probably know it. A religious man is on top of his roof during a great flood. And a man comes by in a boat and says, get in, get in. And the religious man on the roof says, no, I have faith in God. God will grant me a miracle. Later on, the water has climbed still further. It's almost up to his waist. And another boat comes by and the guy, and the guy there tells him, get into the boat. And he says, no, I've got faith in God. God will, will save me. And by then it's up to his chest and another boat comes past and he turns down the offer. God will save me from this. With water at chin height, a helicopter throws down a ladder and they tell him to get in. And mumbling with water almost in his mouth, he again turns down the request um, because of uh, his faith in God. And this isn't how I quite see it happening, but he arrives at the gates of heaven and St. Peter's there. And he says to St. Peter, because he does say roughly that Peter carries the gates of heaven and hell and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he says, uh, he says to Peter, I, I, used to have I used to have incredible faith in God and you've just let me down. You've let me down. You've let me drown and I'm dead. And now I'm up here. And Peter laughed and said, I don't know what you're complaining about. We sent you three boats and a helicopter. <laughs> God uses people. God uses people who believe in him. God uses people who understand what his manifesto is. God uses all of us to create everyday miracles for people. It may be an envelope pushed through a door. It may be something turning up just when it's needed. It could be a casserole. It could be a warm coat. It's somebody acting at the prompting of God. I'm finished yet. No. <laughs> so this is where the sheep and goats come in, because um, when Arthur was down to read, this is is this right for this today? And I said, yeah, I've got a weird sense of weird mind, really. That reading we had from Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about how the king will view his state of his kingdom when he returns. It's a parable about him going away and coming back. Um, and in this picture, it was quite good that uh, Sam showed that short video. The sheep are part of Jesus' own flock and the goats aren't. And actually, in the Middle East, it was a lot more difficult to tell sheep for apart from goats. But the shepherd would always know who, which were the sheep and which were the goats. They all looked a bit the same. Um, and he sorts the sheep to the right. Um, so those are the, the ones that follow his teaching and the goats who aren't part of his flock to the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are, who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Okay. Uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, 
you did for me. Anytime you did this, you responded to my call. You made my kingdom more real to somebody on this earth. We're all brothers and sisters. All, all human beings are brothers and sisters, whether they know about Jesus or not. They're just people who haven't heard yet. William Booth said, you can't warm the hearts of people with God's love if they have an empty stomach and cold feet. William Booth was an immensely practical man. He desperately wanted people in the East End of London to know about the love of God, but he realized you can't concentrate on spiritual stuff if you're starving. You cannot warm the hearts of people with God's love if they have an empty stomach and cold feet. Every week, John goes to Morrison's to collect food that has been donated to the open table. This isn't really a, a plea to get on board with this or anything, but when I first went with him, we used to have two, gate, two cages full at Morrison's, full of food. Then it became one cage full. This is what it looked like last week. People are under pressure with the cost of living crisis. They don't have enough for themselves, let alone enough to give. Often people do like giving. They like doing their bit. They like giving back, but times are challenging. People pray, give us this day our daily bread. But whether it arrives or not, it may depend on the people of God who grasp what the kingdom is about and follow his teachings. And say, so this isn't a campaign to get you all to bring your tins in, but you know, <laughs> any tins would be welcome. But um, that, that's not what this is about. It just is so sad that, you know, we, we could rely on that as a source of food and it's been getting less and less, hasn't it, John? Um, so how does God work in this world? He uses his people to come alongside those in need, whether it be physical needs or spiritual needs. But as, as William Booth says, you need to deal with the physical needs first. And those small actions will change the world for someone, will let someone see that God loves them. I'm not really big into Catholic saints, but Teresa, St. Teresa of Avila, she, she was a... A Spanish mystic. She was a Carmelite nun who lived in the 1500s, around about the same time as um, Martin Luther and Calvin were all knocking about as well. And she was trying to change the religion that she was part of, the Catholic side of things, um, in in her own way. Um, and what she said: Christ has no body but ours, no hands, no feet on earth but ours. Ours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Ours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Ours are the hands with which he blesses the world. As I look around me here, I don't see a mass of extremely wealthy people. Um, we do have, but I do see people who know and recognise God's love, who know what God's love feels like. And we know and recognise that God's love is for sharing with the people around us. And we may not be able to solve all the world's problems, but Jesus said, love your neighbour. And that's what all of us have to try to do. 
because that is what changes the world. That is what ushers in God's kingdom. So people who brave, pray that prayer for bread, give us this day our daily bread. We'll actually have something to eat. Amen.